This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 28th of November 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my energetic co-host, Jan. <laughs> Hi, Dave. You said energetic, but I got such a hangover from a birthday party. Ah, oh, wasn't it great? It wasn't was it great? great. So, All yes. friends coming to join us and everything. It was, it was hilarious. It was great. I know, I know. So, yes, two years, now two years and one episode. So, yes, congratulations to all of our listeners. And, For sticking uh, it out with us so long. <laughs> indeed, pretty much. <laughs> Haven't they got something better to do? No, obviously not. Okay, so, yes, we had our, had our two-week birthday party. Two-week two birthday party? Wow. Two-year birthday party. <laughs> That's um, yes, two years of week. Roaring Elephant <laughs> podcast. Uh, consistently delivering excellent news, reviews, and, um, yeah, probably not. <laughs> as long as we stay serious and don't laugh too often, that should solve everything. Yeah, 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 that's unlikely, isn't it? So, yes. <sighs> we can try, we can try. Well, I do know that the next episode is not going to be a lot of fun and laughter, although we did have some fun, of course, but that's a serious episode. Because uh, a while ago, uh, we did a little uh, news episode where we mentioned Apache Pulsar. And in the Twitter feed afterwards, we were really, uh, how should I put this politely, uh, told we didn't do it right. Yep. So as I already know, I think I put it on Twitter already and I should have by the time this goes live. We have uh, gotten people from uh, the Apache Pulsar team reach out to us and we have a full episode waiting for you guys. Needs to be edited. But the interview was Great, I think. We had a lot of yeah, information in depth. It's going to be a very long one, I'm afraid. So sorry about that in advance. But uh, just so you know, that one's coming next episode. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, the audience will find it useful and interesting. So I certainly did. Yeah, I certainly did. I mean, I was able to ask a lot of in-depth uh, technical questions. But sure, you stayed awake uh, through that. But uh, I learned a ton. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> that's what's next. And that's what's come before. So let's head into the news. <laughs> Between future and past, there is the ever-present presence, and it's a news episode, so I've got a couple of news articles, so do you. And the first one I've got, you don't mind if I go first? No, go for it. The first one I got, I actually took mostly on the title. If <laughs> I tell you it's from the register, that should already give you some idea. <laughs> yeah. And the title is, uh, dramatic music, IBM leads big insights for Hadoop out behind barn. Shots heard. <laughs> Sometimes yes. I, I like it. <laughs> uh, it's not really a big article about uh, the content of it's not that important. It's mostly about the fact that IBM is making uh, a lot of headway apparently in their move from their own proprietary big insights to the open source Hadoop, pla uh, Hadoop platform from Hortonworks. And yep. they have dates out now. And apparently on November 7th, there was an announcement and uh people will have to shut down their begin site clusters uh very soon now from december 6th you won't be able to make any new ones anymore and there was also somewhere a date that they will be deleted from a date uh but i can't find the date at the moment in the little thingy between december 7th they will be well, between december 7th and november 7th 2017 2018 all instances will be in the uh, dashboard and they will be deleted apparently so that's the that's the instances on on their blue mix environment so that's their hosted obviously if yeah, you're using kind of big insights on on prem or you have it deployed 
infrastructure as a service somewhere else, um, then uh, your, your time to get that migrated to another platform, i.e. HDP, is uh, rapidly approaching. Yeah, because even if you're still running it on-premise, which you probably can do, but uh, support will start uh, yeah, going away too, I'm assuming. Yeah, indeed, so, indeed. And so uh, we, we mentioned sort of probably probably a month or two ago, actually, that the HDP 263 release that came out had a number of um, comments in it about um, IBM IOP, their uh, open platform um, migration. Uh, So that's obviously this is all now coming to a head and uh, all all the pieces are falling into place. So, yeah, now's the time to go through those migrations. Yeah, it's very nice to see that, uh, well, despite the kind of negative uh, title of the article, for me it's a positive thing that uh, IBM is really uh, delivering on this and going forward with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. Very nice. So I just wanted to shout that out to the public. So if you're using Big Insights, you should be aware, and you probably are aware, things are changing fast. Welcome to the new world of agile, open source, and any other buzzword you want to put in there. Yep, open platforms, all good. (laughs) Over to you. All right. So we've we've talked about Kafka now and again, and uh, Kafka itself is evolving, mutating, depending on your point of view, um, to do many, many different things rather than just the, uh, the the same old, same old of shuffling data from place A to place B very quickly. Hey, according to your article, they're actually on PlayStation now. Well, so that the the article is taking KSQL for a spin using a real-time device data. Um and what we've got here is, as as Jan said, they're they're using uh, some inputs from uh, you know, a steering wheel and a pedal box, and uh, someone uh, playing a, a driving game and actually taking those inputs. And there's there's a series of um, sort of basically things that they want to uh, things that they want to test against. So there is. Uh, the old phrase "smooth is fast" in racing, which which suggests that uh, you know the less steering, acceleration, and and uh, braking inputs you make uh, means for a smoother drive, which means that that should result in a faster lap time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also um, are looking at uh, things like um, the erratic driving and uh, other sort of elements of braking too hard and things like that, and how how that um, actually influences the lap times. But uh, what they're actually doing with this is they're taking uh, you know, the inputs from the steering wheel and the pedal box, feeding those into, into Kafka, um, using KSQL to run queries on the streaming data, pushing that into Kafka Connect, and then into uh, InfluxDB, and finally uh, graphing it out in Grafana. And I, you know... Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, a big fan of computer gaming, not particularly <laughs> driving games as such, um, but uh, you know just seeing this used being used as uh, a set of uh, a set of inputs streamed through. They give some examples of the the kind of uh, data that you get out of each of these devices. They give some examples of code um, that they can use within KSQL to select out. You know some of these various different components, and you know you get all of this stuff then graphed out in Grafana, and they they start to draw some conclusions about well you know this is a this is a slow lap, and you can see that the the um, the inputs are far more measured and controlled, and on a sorry that's on a fast lap, and on a slower lap you can see that the the inputs are a lot more aggressive and things like that. So it's 
it's really quite I, I found it quite useful quite interesting it's something that most people i would imagine can relate to um you know the the inputs from a steering wheel and a pedal box and how then you would break that down using uh using ksql um the the thing that is kind of curious is it it sort of there is still a there's an impression that you know you can do everything in kafka now you know you do, do Kafka can be your entire big data world. Well, you know, clearly not the case because actually they need to put stuff into some sort of store before they can actually graph it, in this case, InfluxDB, which they don't, so unsurprisingly, they don't actually talk about very much at all. Um, it's all it's all focused on, on Kafka and the Streams API and things like that. But a nice article, a good introduction to, I think, how, you know, Kafka and KSQL could be used. They do point out at the end that, you know, it is still um, very much developer preview at the moment, but it's, uh, in their words, it's impressive what you can get done with it. So worth taking a look at if you're doing some analytics with um, streaming data in Kafka and you're looking at, uh, you know, maybe using KSQL or even using the embedded mode to put uh, KSQL code right in your Java code, could be very interesting. Yeah, I kind of like the article, to be honest. I mean, it's nice to have a very tangible uh, use case uh, here. A relatable even, use case, yeah. Relatable, even if it's just a game, this is also relatable to normal everyday driving, right? It doesn't have to yeah. be in a game environment. Of yeah. course, there's level of abstractions, blah, blah, but still. And I like the fact that it gives a, they give a lot of uh, code and uh, insight in the KSQL thing, which is the hero of this article, of course. Yeah. They also created their own producer to get the information from those uh, uh, the steering wheel and the pedal box, but they don't give us that code i think they give a little bit of information no. how they did it but that's a bit of a bummer but i can understand why because it's a ksql article not a creative producer article <laughs> and to be it honest, would be it would ahead. be nice if they shared a github with with repo with yeah. the, the code in there wouldn't it yeah that being said i'm not sure if you even want to do this yourself uh, anyway now i have been staying away from kafka uh, lately because as you said kafka is trying to do everything at the moment and it's getting very yeah complicated and i don't really know what to do with it anymore mm-hmm. so I <laughs> yeah but there's a whole thing about being you can be somewhat good at everything or very good at something yeah. but having this article actually shows me very nicely what ksql is meant to be and mm-hmm. if i put my microsoft hat on for a second this is very close to what we have it's called stream analytics mm-hmm. basically a way of having a kind of known language syntax which you can use on top of an incoming event stream to mm-hmm. yeah extract the information to do some dashboarding and stuff. Now I'm looking to the the little KSQL snippets to find any kind of windowing uh, in yeah window hopping so they have windowing in there as well. So yeah, this is basically yeah. identical to the streaming analytics thing that we have there. That's great. That means yeah. I know what KSQL does. There you go. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah, it's, it's a nice way of doing this. I mean, a lot of uh, applications are doing this, actually, at the moment. Everybody's trying to do something intelligent with uh, event streams at uh, live uh, analytics on that thing. You can't really do live analytics on an event stream because, well, if you do it event by event, you cannot make any decisions on that. You need to have some windowing yeah. in there. And actually using SQL as a syntax, it's not real SQL, of course, but it does look and feel like SQL. 
Yeah, you just have to be careful that if you SQL behind the scenes, there's a certain order in which the things are done, grouping, selecting, filtering, and so on. There's a certain order in there. Don't uh, assume that the order is also valid in these kind of environments. That's the one uh, gotcha that I ran against. But uh, yeah, I like the article. It's it's extensive. It gives a lot of information. It gives, for the K-SQL part, a lot of uh, little, yeah, example things you can cut and paste from. So, and they also pretty, to pretty much keep it simple, which is of course good. Cause if you put a, a two page uh, SQL statement in uh, an event stream, that's <laughs> never going to scale very well. Yeah. Okay. Not sure about a little paragraph about driving like a lunatic. I would never <laughs> do that, but no, I like it. I like it. Very good. I've learned something. So- Thank you, sir. You're very welcome, as always. So I think over to you. Uh, oh, God, no, I'm not prepared. I'm totally into KSQL. Uh, <laughs> I do have a second article. It's here somewhere. Oh, yeah, I took this one. It's a little bit older one from 25th of October already. But uh, a while ago, we did our episode on big data roles, and we talked about recruiting. And I've actually had some good feedback from people that they really liked that episode because of the information they got from uh, our guest there. Chuck. And in fact, we had uh, we had some some nice feedback on the the birthday episode, didn't we? That actually the the roles in yep. big data, people were finding that uh, that that series quite interesting. So we must continue. Yeah, and I was stuck with it, right? <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, it's been a good uh, role for us as well because it also allows us to talk with different kinds of people. Yeah, it's also good. I never thought I would interview somebody from recruiting, to be honest. Yeah, true. But uh, it was a good episode. And this article, it's uh, entitled, If you want to be a data scientist, you need to know about these six trends. And basically, you can read this. It's on the career subsection on Silicon Republic. And you can kind of see this as, if you want to do something in big data and earn a lot of money, because apparently the average salary, and this is a US article, so it's a US dollars, is 111,000 in 2016. And that's apparently very good. And we're also ranked as the best job in the Glassdoor 50 best jobs report and so on. So it's an article about, okay, if you want to get into this world, these are the things you should uh, keep in mind. And uh, there's uh, five or six points here. Uh, five, yes, yeah, six. And uh, it was a, it's pretty much okay. So I kind of want to go through that with you, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Go for it. So the first one is actually a nice one. And is really a reason why really everybody with a bit of uh, math background and computer background can get into this uh, gig. Entitled, all industries are open, but you should try to specialize. And basically, what the first point is, you should not feel you have to be a computer nerd, and I think nerd is a good word, by the way, uh, to do data scientists. Because every industry out there needs it, whether you're in baking or farming or manufacturing or retail or finance or whatever, they're all looking for big data uh, and advanced analytics people to do their data science. Mm-hmm. They do, however, say try to specialize because if you go to an interview and say, I know big data, yes, I'm a retailer. Do you know anything about retailing? Uh, No, but I know big data. That's not going to work either. Because it's so broad, a potential employer will always look at a profile that fits with their environment. Now, the good thing is that means you don't really have to change what you like because whatever you like is probably data science requirements or, or they're looking for people in that field as well as in any other field. Just yeah. make sure you try to get a job in your own sphere of interest so you don't fall for the, yes, I know the big data in finance. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but don't <laughs> do that. Or if you want to do that, if you want to get into, into uh, finance and you have big data background, 
do some training first. Get get aware of how the finance world works, what their vernacular is. So you, I mean, you can actually have a data on the business side of the whole thing as well, and not just I'm a great genius in mathematics and statistics. Yeah, I mean, the, I suppose it, it's it's very easy to say you should try and specialize. It depends on whether you're you know whether you're independent if you're a contractor. True, true. I mean, you'll in many cases uh, even then. Yeah, I know. But what I guess what I'm saying is that if you've got um, a variety of different industries that you are just naturally having to satisfy from one gig to the next, then it, it's probably the, your approach is going to be slightly different, isn't it? It's going to be well, I've done a lot with fraud. Now that could be insurance fraud, could be financial fraud, um, you know, it could be healthcare fraud. Yep. But you know, you, you understand fraud, so yes. I, th- I think there's a there's a layer in between that sort of that point of saying, you know, I know big data versus I know ABC industry. I think you can you can have you can demonstrate experiences in certain things that are common to the common to multiple different industries, and in many cases, what you'll see is people working with. Um, experts in that industry to fill in the gaps mm-hmm. and sure if if you're working uh if you're expected to know all of that that's a very different story but i still think there's a, there's some there's some good middle ground where you can still make some good progress yeah and we're all going to start in the middle ground anywhere because when you when you start out anywhere you're never going to be the expert but the, yeah. the thing that i think that the, the writer of the article wants to say is here that if you're going for a certain job in finance you can say okay i know a lot about fraud but i have no experience with finance if a second candidate comes in that says i have experience True. with fraud and i know a little bit about finance i did a bit of homework you will have a yeah. better chance yeah, yeah, very true, very so true. even though you're right, having a more generic approach will usually actually help because it allows you to think out of the box, which is a nice yep. buzzword. Hey, buzzword bingo. Uh, <laughs> that's actually a good thing, but also show that you're at least interested in the environment as well because if you're going to spend for the next five or ten years at a, at a, at a bank and you hate yeah. finance, that's ah, not going to work out for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably not the best career choice in the world. <laughs> hey, but it pays well. Although these days, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. No, All right. Inside Network says that banking doesn't pay that much anymore. So, I don't know. I never vote for a bank. I have no idea. Okay, number two. Uh, balance robust academic achievements with on-the-job learning. And this kind of nicely ties in with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, being an expert is great, but don't try to be the, the expert when you start out because you will learn a lot on the job by just doing it. And uh, in computers in general, in uh, in the IT world, learning something is only a start it's only when you start using the thing that you actually get yeah. to grok it if you know the word grok then if you don't you should read some Heinlein um, but uh, definitely in data science there's no way to read to, to read up on this and become an expert you really need to have on the job experience and if that means you do some I don't know temping or do a Kaggle competition or anything just do something with it. That'll give you a lot more information than trying to get the next certificate. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I I have a, a, a curious skepticism for pure academics. Um, I think it, it definitely needs to be tempered by real-world experience. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. Which doesn't mean you shouldn't do academics, right? It, it should no, show no. that you want to learn and are learning and are improving yourself, and that's one of the 
points down the line as well, I think. But mm. don't rely just on that. Make sh- it's better to to balance 50-50, have some ex- academic knowledge, and also show you can actually do something with it by, for show, example, so you can apply it. putting yeah. your steering wheel from your PlayStation on a Kafka stream. Perfect example. Yeah. Hey, we used it earlier. <laughs> See how we, we, we weave these things together in a oh, totally. It's, it's I mean, like it was planned. It really wasn't planned. This <laughs> See, two years in, we got, we're getting high, high-headed. So, okay, yeah. number three: <laughs> data analytics experience is essential. Machine learning helps, and that's actually a bit of a controversial one because basically, what she's saying here is that machine learning is helping but not a mainstream at the moment and having some uh, let's call it statistics knowledge is a better uh, a better reason to start uh, to have success in this field and i'm not entirely sure if that's true today I'm, I'm totally agreeing that statistics knowledge is important if you don't know what a mean or a median is uh, look it up and get those things on your belt and be able to make a report in Excel or whatever you want to use, uh, Calc. That's essential, really. But if you're looking now to get into this world and you have no machine learning experience at all, and I'm not saying that you can create machine learning algorithms, that's next step, but at least know how to use it, know how to make a small prediction, make a linear regression, things like that. It's very close to each other. A lot of machine learning is just an extension of that statistics. And if you're in data science today and you know statistics and you've never done that little step forward into the machine learning world, that doesn't show, I don't know, drive to to go in here. Yeah, Uh, I think to me this this piece of the article is really leaning back on what is uh, what is well adopted across broader enterprises today. And honestly, the statistics is everywhere. Yeah, machine learning and AI. I I would like to believe it's more common than it actually is. I think is the reality. Yeah. And I think I definitely think that organizations everywhere is moving more towards that. Mm-hmm. But I think the I think that what they're saying is the core of what the majority of organizations really need right now is just the ability to apply that uh, based basic statistical knowledge against big data. Uh, yeah, but if you look at this article as a career advice, what you do to get into the big data, as you said, the statistics is everywhere. The people there already, they're not looking for more statisticians. They're looking for yep. people that can do the next step. And so you're right that machine learning is much rarer than statistics. But the thing that they're looking for today, I would assume that they're looking for more machine learning uh, knowledge than for statistics knowledge, which they already have. Or, or is it the ability to apply that? I mean, statist- being a statistician is one thing. But being able to apply that statistical knowledge against a variety of big data technologies, that's something subtly different. Exactly. And that just shows you that you've opened up your your, your realm of knowledge to that next level of tooling and uh, knowledge and experimentation, stuff like that. So I feel the article puts too much emphasis on the statistics. And I think if you want to go into data science, you don't need to be a machine learning genius by any stretch of the imagination, although it wouldn't hurt. But you should mm-hmm. at least have done a, a linear regression or a recommendation model and played a little bit with Spark or Python to, to do with your Python notebook or something. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're in violent agreement. In violent <laughs> agreement, even. Wow. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on to more violence with GDPR. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to say this is wrong, right? GDPR is coming. There's a lot of requirements that need to be filled in. And here specifically, it's uh, talking about, uh, uh, yeah, data governance demand, but security, whatever. I mean, GDPR is going to be giving people work for the next few years in abundance, I think. So anything you know about... Yeah. Uh, these conventions the protocols around it and uh, yeah i mean gdpr knowledge if you have it is going to be a win especially in the financial sector but i think everywhere else too yeah and in, in fact gdpr made more of a, an impact on our, our birthday episode recording yes. than i was expecting as <laughs> yes, well expect it. um and it was it was interesting that everyone was everyone was seeing this yeah. um and it's just it it's becoming so so prevalent. I was expecting this to be something that really anybody in Europe is going to, was going to care about, but outside of that, you know, no real impact. And I'm completely wrong yep. about that. I'm absolutely completely wrong about that. Yeah. It's it's sort of ha- it ha- it's having a far more wide-reaching uh, yeah. effect on what people are talking about, what people are planning for, than, than I'd imagine. So I, in a good way, I should yeah. hasten to add. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if everything in GDPR is as good as it's supposed to be because I must admit I haven't read all the papers on it myself, but the the, the, the general idea is definitely a positive one. Yeah. And the globalization and all of those multinationals, uh, even if you're in the US, you have to take this into account and I actually like the fact that, uh, that Europe is showing a little bit of muscle here. Yeah, which is uh, which is good. I mean, uh, ev- everywhere, whatever you're doing in politics or whatever, you have always the, the the leading side and the opposition, and the opposition makes sure the leading side stays honest. And this is a nice example of how this uh, this balances out. Yeah, so, I think uh, so. No, but again, GDPR, it's something you should at least know about, and uh, be sure it's going to come up in any <laughs> any conversation you'll have in so. any any almost any conversation about data. Yeah, and it's going to become more and more relevant as as it uh, comes into force. Yeah, not finishing up with the last two points in the article, because we're spending a lot of time on this, but it's an important subject. Uh, penultimate one, make sure you have solid business intelligence, business intelligence foundation. We pretty much talked about this one already. Know about the business, uh, know about business insights, and be able to talk about that. Uh, kind of funny in this little paragraph, she ends with, for a hard skill set, SQL programming skills show no sign in decreasing popularity. So apparently SQL is not a business intelligence tool. But she also mentions mm-hmm. Tableau, so okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From that aspect, it makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah. the, the, key, the key part here is about, you know, BI, BI people have been transitioning into these kind of roles over the last few years. You know, they've been growing their skill sets, changing... That some of their focus and really sort of starting to develop to develop their careers in more of this kind of direction. So I think this is kind of echoing a lot of that uh, a lot of that movement as well. Yeah, yeah, because basically the data scientists like in between the, the business analyst and the, the programmer, right? It's yeah. in between there. That's where you have the mystical creature. Yeah, the mystical <laughs> mystical unicorn. And the last one is, uh, we talked about it already, keep your technical skills up to date. And yeah, that can't be emphasized enough, I think. It's a very fast-moving environment. It, new things are popping up every day. You can't forget the old stuff, but you have to keep at least in touch with the new stuff. There's several ways of doing that. There's a lot of MOOCs out there, a lot of 
courses you can follow. You can start a podcast about this thing. That also helps a lot. Let me attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely important that you have to do this. Uh, kind of funny that in the article, uh, things like SAS are mentioned and Teradata and Informatica and SSIS and IBM DB2, which are not really the most new things. But she's totally yeah. right. It's not because you know Spark and Python that you don't need to know, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Teradata or uh, SAP or SAS, if that's what the company is working with. then that's what you And it's with. it's also about understanding. So, you know, we, we, we laughably um, comment on DB2 and Teradata and SAS and things like that. But the reality is that the majority of enterprise organizations, their entire businesses are built on these technologies. So that's the core of where a lot of your initial data is going to come from that's going to be plugging into your, um, you know, your big data programs. So you need to have a good understanding of all of those platforms because that's going to be you know, your primary data source probably yeah. initially. And then, sure, you're going to be growing into other uh, big data sources, other things that haven't fitted into the, those traditional patterns. But they'll be the core of what you start with almost certainly. Yeah, and they're not going to go away because these things no. are very good at certain things that they do. And yep. a Hadoop platform is never going to replace a complete Teradata, Oracle, SAP system. It's all about synergy and making the best tool do the, the work for the work it's best for. Wow, synergy. Synergy. Yeah, I'm doing buzzer that, bingo today, man. That's bingo. <laughs> <laughs> if I've got a full card, if I have to get a couple more than there. But no, the, these things are not going away, so... It's something, and actually, I struggled that when I started out in this field because I really came into this from the the top end of the big data thing, and then had to learn about oh, there's something called SAP and SAS and Informatica. What's that? Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty hard to get in there because those things are with a lot of people you talk to. Yeah, Informatica, you know what that is? That's that's Informatica. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. And yeah, it's sometimes yeah. also because it's kind of there's a bit of an old and a new world thing going on there, and it's sometimes hard to have the concepts from the new world and apply them again how the old world was thinking. And I'm not trying to deprecate it. I'm not trying to to be negative about it. I mean, I'm saying yeah. old world, and don't mean it's passé, but it's yeah, it's a different kind of thinking. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's not that easy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Very it was true. a nice article. I think it was a nice follow-up on our little uh, job roles recruiting uh, episode we had. And mm-hmm. I wanted to put it out there. Links in the show notes, as always, of course. And I'll probably do some uh, Twittering about that as well. Very and, good. Uh, unless you have something else, that's my, that's my articles. That's it for me, I think. In that case, looking at the clock, yep, we're reaching that half an hour mark, which we're trying to attain every time. Or let's attain, I mean, not go over. Which <laughs> 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 you rarely succeed at, but anyway. But if Dave has nothing and I have nothing, that means that, that is, this is all the time we have for today. We hope, as always, you enjoyed the Serving Us Bite Size Big Data. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelfin.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the AttitudeCast tag. Tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, what's good, what's bad. You can contact us by email, send it to podcast at roaringelfin.org, send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. My name is Dave. And we certainly look forward to talking to you next week. See you then.